First, I'd like to welcome everyone from here in Eretz Israel, uh, thanking you for joining us from around the globe. My name is Rabbi Jeremy Stern, and I am Ortora Stone's Director of International Partnerships. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the seventh episode in our weekly series of OTS Presents Torah for Our Time. Please permit me to also take this opportunity to thank my wonderful colleagues who have worked behind the scenes to make today's year possible. Uh, thank you to Sima Friedman, David Frankel, Yishai Hughes, Rabbi Chaim Kantorovitz, David Katz, the Zoom maven, Dina Engstreif, and as always, Rabbi Kenneth Brander. I'm very pleased to introduce today's Oratora Stone Scholar, Rabbanit Nomi Berman. Rabbanit Nomi serves as Rosh Beit Midrash at Midrash at Lindenbaum's Maria and Joel Finkel Overseas Program. While her title as Rosh Beit Midrash conveys her professional role at Midrash at Lindenbaum, Rabbanit Nomi has had a profound and personal relationship with the Midrashah throughout her life. From her first day at Lindenbaum as a student after high school just a few years ago, uh, to her four years serving with her husband as Av and Aim Bait, and from keeping Talmud for many years at the Midrashah to becoming a key member of its leadership, Rabbanit Nomi and Midrash at Lindenbaum are in so many ways deeply interwoven and the Midrashah, its students, its alumni, and those of us who work with her are all the better because of it. So, in anticipation of Yom Yerushalayim, the 53rd anniversary of the, reunifi the reunification of our capital city, I'm delighted to hand over the virtual podium, podium to Rabbanit Nomi Berman, who will be sharing her insights in a shir entitled, Jerusalem the Golden, the Religious Revolution, Revolution of Shlomo HaMelech. For those who are joining us on their, on their phone, iPad, or computer, I would like to draw your attention to the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen. If you have a question during this year, please feel free to send it to us by using that button. I will be monitoring your questions during this year, and so as to avoid breaking the flow of the presentation, I will relay your questions to Rabbanit Nomi at the end. Without further ado, Rabbanit Nomi Berman. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I got a little nervous there that you were, had calculated the years. It's my first day at Madrasha Linamau. Uh, I, I would prefer not to, um, but, uh, but, but cherish every, every minute since. Um, uh, yeah, the truth is that I, I do, I have distinct memories of that first day in Madrasha Linamau. Um, for those of you who might be out there um, who might remember the Madrasha Linamau of, of old, um, that was on Rehov Herzog 39 um, in a converted apartment building. And, um, and I, I, I uh, realized at some point when we dedicated our current Beit Midrash that it was the seventh Beit Midrash of Madrasha Linamau in which I had learned. Um, uh, it was like my, you know, Shabbat had arrived and, uh, and uh, thank God uh, we, uh, we achieved a beautiful uh, Shabbat <laughs> for me. Um, uh, okay, I, uh, as, uh, as Jeremy said, um, in anticipation of Yom Yerushalayim later this week, uh, what I wanted to do is look at, um, is look at, I, get, I think, the scene in Tanakh where one could argue that Yerushalayim ultimately becomes um, all of our, our capital. Um, there are different scenes that one could choose and call it the, the, the original scene for, uh, for Yerushalayim. Um, I don't know if everyone would agree with my choice. You know, there are scenes that come beforehand. There's the moment when David moves his capital from Hebron to Yerushalayim. Um, there's the moments when um, 
there, there's the moment when, um, when David brings the Aron, which had been kind of wandering, um, and he brings the Aron, the Ark, um, to Yerushalayim um, with great rejoicing and celebration. There is certainly um, moments in, in when Shlomo um, strengthens Yerushalayim. There's the moment when David purchases the property that subsequently we call Har Habayit. Um, I'm choosing to go a little bit past these original scenes to um, the moment when when Shlomo HaMelech actually, I think, in a way, revolutionizes um, the, our, our relationship with Yerushalayim and kind of sets some um, trends um, that, that, that impact us until today. Um, so I'm, I'm moving into the scene of the Chanukat Habayit, um, really the Biniyah, the building, and the, and the dedication of the Bayit. I'm being very cautious and actually actively preventing myself from saying, as I'm like saying this Sentence, I almost said the Beit HaMikdash because that is what rolls off the tongue, um, but I'm being very cautious and, and stopping myself and saying that I'm relating to the, the Bayit, um, or more accurately, I should say the Beit Hashem because, um, and one of the things points I would like to, to look at specifically is that the term Beit HaMikdash is actually not anywhere in this passage. And the truth is that throughout Sefer Malachim, um, um, consistently the bayit is referred to as either the bayit or Beit Hashem and not Beit HaMikdash again which might be what rolls off our tongue and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, I am going to move into sharing screen here as I'm doing that I'm going to give a, a word of explanation just in terms of uh, methodology and style here um, in this new uh, I, had, I, had, I had had some minimal exposure to teaching on Zoom before this past March um, but I've Obviously, we have all kind of uh, been introduced um, very intensely to, uh, to Zoom recently. Um, and what I have found in my in my last few weeks of learning learning is that I, I know that for myself, my style, whenever at all possible, I like to avoid handing out nice little neat cut out uh, source sheets that take little snippets of sources out of context and throw them together on the sheet. Sometimes you know we have to use those. Sometimes they're just practical. Um, whenever possible. Possible. Um, I prefer to learn out of a text, and certainly within Tanakh, I would prefer to turn pages rather than cut and paste little boxes. That is something I have learned about my own personal style. I like the, I guess I would call it the authenticity of actually seeing the the, the particular choice of text that I want to look at. I, I want my my listener to be able to see it a little bit more in context, um, and kind of let their eyes roll up and down a little bit, even while I'm zeroing in on a specific text. Um, so I prefer to always have the the page turning experience um, in teaching Tanakh, um, which obviously is is, uh, is challenging here. Uh, I mean, I guess I would invite any of you who have a Tanakh nearby to, to pull that out if you want the page turning experience. Um, the best way I have found to replicate the page turning experience um, in in the uh, in the virtual share forum is to is to do a lot of scrolling um, through um, texts. So I so I've put the the full chapter. We're not going to look through the full chapter. Um, of um, 
of Malachim Aleph chapter six, but I've put the whole thing here. I want to kind of, again, have, I hope it, I hope it's not too dizzying. Um, so I guess this was by explanation, by way of apology that I don't want to be dizzying, but I'm hoping for the, the page turning, but in this case, scrolling experience of, of uh, kind of going through, because I really want to go through um, significant pieces of, of, of the, this parak and the upcoming prakim, which is an entire section in Malachim Aleph, um, which is dedicated to, kind of pardon the pun, dedicated to, um, building the building of and dedication of of the Beit Hashem. So starting with the first verse in Malachim Aleph, Kings one chapter six, verse one. I'm gonna um, try. My mouse is not working um, to move. Um, so hopefully you can see the 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 text here. I'm just gonna start in. There we go. Okay, so just the first parsik. I'll be reading. I'll be reading in the Hebrew, but um, you're welcome to follow along in the Hebrew or English, whatever your preference. Vayhi b'shmonim shana va'arba meot shana l'tzeit bnei Yisrael me'eret mitzayim b'shana haraviit b'chodesh ziv hu ha'chodesh sheni l'maloch shlomo a'yisrael vayiven habayit l'Hashem. So you can hear, you can hear in the language that as soon as we open this chapter, um, the author, Chazal say is Yirmiyahu, the author of Malachim, Yirmiyahu would like us to feel that something big is happening, right? It is the, the 80th, um, 80th and 400th year from when B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, and it's the fourth month in the, um, sorry, um, 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 and the, in the in the month, the second month that Shlomo is king in, in Israel, fourth fourth year and second month, and he built the Bayit Hashem, right? So there's like a celebratory tone here, like something big in Jewish ha history is happening, and indeed it is um, it is a game changer in Jewish history um, that David, uh, that, sorry, that Shlomo builds the Bayat Lahashem. Um, what I'm gonna do here, again, we're gonna scroll through um, bits and pieces of this chapter and the next chapter, uh, next, next couple of chapters in Malachim. Um, what I would like to do um, is, um, um, what, what I would like to do is, is, um, I'm going to make, we're going to kind of read a little bit to get some general impressions, and I'm going to try to make um, like five discrete points um, as, as we go. Um, so number one is, as I, as I mentioned to begin with, is this Vayiven Habayat Lahashem, okay? And just, you know, I, I mentioned before that like what rolls off the tongue is 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 Beit HaMikdash and not Bayat LaHashem. Um, we're, we're not, you know, just to confirm that it's not just us, right? You know, it, it makes sense that what rolls off our tongue is Beit HaMikdash, the term Mikdash. Um, and be, indeed, it's it, this is a, a very telling, I think, contrast to, I'm going to see if I can do a quick switch here, will it work? Yes, okay. Um, a quick contrast here um, to, um, to, um, to looking at the chapter 25 in Sefer Shmod in Exodus, where, um, where we are first introduced to the idea in, in verse eight here of chapter 25 in Shmod, um, Dina, can you just, if, you, if you're there, um, if you don't mind just confirming that the share screen switched, I'm just not, Make, trying to make sure that it's switched along with me to, to Schmoetz. 
I've got Schmode 25. Perfect. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so, Peric, Peric, yes, Schmode 25 in verse 8. Um, um, the speech obviously started at the beginning of the chapter. Hashem um, Hashem speaks to Moshe. Starts with the command to gather up donations um, from each each um, each man of Israel, and then there's in the verses, the intervening verses three through seven, there is. Um, there is an explication of the different types of materials that would be welcome as donations. This is, as I think a lot of people um, in a um, in the Jewish communal work like to point out, this is um, the first and most successful fundraising campaign in Jewish history. Um, Hashem tells Moshe to seek out these donations. And indeed, um, later when, when this is actually done in Parshat Vayakel, the Torah tells us that Moshe at some point had to say, stop bringing donations. We have too much, right? How, you know, many of us would like to get to that, um, to that stage. Um, so th this is a call for donations again in Gimel through Zion in verses three to seven. The Torah Hashem um, um, tells in detail what what the, what the donations, what the welcome donations would be. And finally, again back to our verse eight, um, make for me a mikdash and I will dwell in it. So this, and then then the verses continue. We're not gonna we're not gonna stay here. The verses then continue to um, to tell more detail about what the in, in tremendous detail actually spread out over the next um, Parsha plus um, and then repeated again um, when Moshe implements those commands, right? Tremendous detail about, as it says in verse 10, Tavni Tamishkan, the pattern of the tabernacle, right? So when Hashem first, now obviously we are dealing with the tabernacle, a Mishkan, and not actually a Mikdash in this case, um, by virtue of the reality that I'm Israel are currently in the Midbar, they're in the desert. Um, so so, the, so the, the Mishkan has to be portable in order to travel with them. Um, so while it is ultimately Asuli Mikdash, the reality at the moment is that it's going to be Mishkan, but we are definitely left with the implication that ultimately the goal is um, for this Mishkan to eventually become a more permanent um, Mikdash structure. The truth is that Mishkan does not actually indicate temporary and Mikdash does not indicate um, permanence, right? Mikdash versus Mishkan, um, the distinction with, with between them would be um, in terms of the, the roots of the word, the Shoresh, Mikdash, obviously coming from the word Kedusha, is a sanctuary, a place of sanctity, and Mishkan is a place of Shrina, right, from, based really on the end of the Pasuk, um, pasuk verse 8, Vishachanti Betocham, um, it is a sanctuary, the goal of which is for God to dwell among us. Um, so the words that the Torah itself uses, that Hashem uses when he first gives the commands, the terms that Hashem uses are indeed mikdash, and Mishkan, right, which tell us something about the nature of these structures. They are about sanctity and they are about a dwelling place for God. So that brings us then back, if I can get there, oh, I'm having trouble getting back there, uh-oh. Uh, yes, that brings us back to our verse now back in Malachim. Um, it is therefore telling that, um, that neither of those terms is used here. And, and um, um, I invite you to kind of, again, turn some pages on your own and we'll continue a bit on your own. And you'll see that consistently the term is by it. Um, it's interesting that, that we, 
that what what eventually settles into our vocabulary is actually a hybrid between bayit, which is here, and mikdash, which is in shmot, and and it becomes a beit hamikdash. Um, but um, in shmot, it is not a bayit at all; it is a mikdash or a mishkan. And in malachim, it is not a mikdash at all, um, consistently, and it's certainly not a mishkan. It is a bayit, right? And you can see verse two bet starts with v'habayit asher now we get to the description, just like in the Mishkan, after we have the general call to build, to, to build it, then we have the details of it, so too Sefer Malachim goes in after the general, um, in this case it's not a call to action, but rather a description of action, and we're going to come back to that point shortly, um, but right after the description, the, the, the overarching um, um, then we go into proceed to go just like we did in Shmot here too we proceed to go into a much more just, just detailed description of the nature of the bite and its length and its width and its height um, and the description here again is extraordinarily lengthy um, to give us a real sense of the of the of the like breadth and of the of the mishkan right seven cubits and eight cubits and and heights and and um and then later um it's going to continue to go into descriptions of the material and the gold and the copper um tremendous description of the artistry that goes into this by it. And again, it's almost like it's hard almost. You could try it out to like control my instinct to say Beit HaMikdash, but again, it's consistently in this parak by it. Um, so that is point number one that I wanted to make is this shift from Bayit, um, sorry, from Mikdash or Mishkan to Bayit. Um, um, it's interesting what the connotations are. Um, it would seem to me, and I'm, you know, I, I imagine this is open to interpretation in a, in a more interactive environment, I would probably pause at this point. So I invite you to like just pause and, and, and consider for yourself for a minute what the connotation in, in your mind is Mikdash versus, versus the connotation of Mishkan versus the connotation of Bayat. Um, I, I will suggest um, that Mikdash um, is a much more God-centered place and a Bayat is a much more um, man-centered place. And we're going to see that as we continue. Um, the word the, uh, Mikdash is sanctity because it has God's presence. A Mishkan is a place which is dwelling and it's dwelling for God. Um, Bayat, now I'm being a little unfair because it says very clearly that it's a Bayat Lahashem undoubtedly, right? Um, but what's interesting is that the, the term bayit itself, the term mikdash on its own, right? Even if you don't call it a mikdash Hashem, the term mikdash on its own already has sanctity, right? It already tells you that it's not, that it's a built, a structure that has sanctity. Uh, mishkan, again, is a structure that tells you that it has God's presence. Bayit is something that we share with God, right? I have a bayit, and in fact, that's absolutely explicit both in Malachim, um, both in Sefer Shmuel, when David first suggests the building of the Bayit, and in, in all fairness, again, we could start there because it is really, it is really originally in the Sefer Shmuel when David, um, again, has this idea to build um, a Bayit. It is there already that it's called a Bayit and not a Mikdash. Um, and both there in Shmuel, as well as here in Malachim, the building of the Bayit Hashem is both prefaced by and intertwined with the building of the Beit HaMelech. There's definitely a parallel that is drawn that like, I have a house, 
God should have a house, right? And David, in fact, in Sefer Shmuel, is prompted by that, right? David says explicitly, now that I'm sitting in my house, how could it be that God is still residing in this temporary residence? Um, and therefore, he says, I, ha I have to build the house. Again, not right now, I'm, I'm going to focus on Shlomo's building of the Bayit and not on David's kind of stalled attempt um, to, to initiate the process. Um, but to give to, to be fair, this the transformation from Mikdash and Mishkan to Bayit really does happen there in the conversation um, between Hashem and David about the building of the Bayit um, as as communicated to David through Natan Hanavi. Um, there already the term that David prefaces by saying, I have a house, how could God not? And Hashem responds there in the Nivuah and the prophecy to Natan, Hashem responds by by talking about a bias. Um, so that's where we actually see in God's name um, the idea of bias. And then again, once we hit here, a hundred percent, we are referring to a bias. Um, and, and intertwines as we continue through these, these, these couple of chapters, we will see that actually the actual building of Beit Hashem is simultaneous um, with Shlomo's building of his own bayats. Um, if we skip um, to, let me go, I'm gonna skip for a second, to, um, to the next chapter. Is it going? Yes. Um, uh, um, beginning of chapter seven, I'm gonna go back to six momentarily, but the beginning of chapter seven, Vayiven, um, sorry, I actually, uh, change my mind for a second. I want to go back to chapter chapter six for one minute um, and scroll down here um, to the end of chapter six. Um, and chapter six ends with the culmination of the building in in uh, in, in thirty eight. There's going to be more description in chapter seven, but we have this kind of culmination in uh, in in verse thirty eight. Right? We now, if we had the opening date at the beginning, we now have the closing date of the, the completion of the bayat. And again, you see consistently that it's um, that it's that it's kalah Again, it doesn't even say Beit Hashem in this case. The house is completed, and we're told that it takes seven years to complete this building project of building the bayit. And again, now I'm going to go back to the chapter seven where I had us a minute ago, verse one. Right. So it, it's um, as much as I want to get the page turning continuous feel. You just like you know we lost, but this is the next verse right between um, chapter six and seven. And the truth is, in the Masora, it is not divided here. Um, the Prakim division divides right here between six and seven, but in the Masora version, this is continuous right after it tells us that there was a seven-year building project to build the Bayat. Um, Pasuk Aleph of the next chapter, again, which is continuous in the Masora, is right? And simultaneously, Shlomo was building his own home for 13 years, and he also completed the building of his own home. And then we're going to get more detailed description, not of the outer structures, but of the inner artistry in both the Bayit Lahashem as well as in Shlomo's house. So this building project is really intertwined between the Beit HaMelech and the Beit Hashem. 
Um, as, as parenthetically, I will mention that you might have noted the seven years versus, versus 13 years, um, which is an interesting, um, which is an interesting, um, like, you know, can be read can be read as praiseworthy or, 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 I don't know, condemnation, maybe that's a strong word, but yeah, condemnation worthy, right? I guess you could read it, and the commentaries are, are, are kind of split on this, you could read it as um, that even though they were simultaneous, that Shlomo put the emphasis on the bayit la Hashem over the emphasis on his own bayit, and then, therefore, it was completed more rapidly, and then afterwards, he kind of finished off his house for the next six years. But obviously there's also the, the more condemning reading, which says, wait a minute, how come Shlomo's Bayit got more attention than the Beit Hashem? That was sort of a parenthetical comment about the comparison. What I, the reason I really went here is again, to show that just the, the intertwining of the building of Shlomo's Bayit with the Bayit Hashem. And I think that's why it supports that Bayit is a much more um, people focused, right? We, we all have a bias. It is a need that we relate to of having a bias. And so Shlomo is building a bias Lashem in the same way that he will build a bias for himself. Um, um, as, 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 as did David also um, aim to do. Um, whereas a mikdash is something that is only for God. Um, so I think there's a, I'm gonna call it kind of a democratization already that happens in the use of the term bayit as opposed to the term mikdash. Um, again, it's interesting, the hybrid that goes back to beta mikdash kind of like brings in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna also su suggest perhaps, I think we're gonna see this more as we continue, um, uh, maybe a move towards greater intimacy. And the imagery of a mikdash is a place that you're, that you're like experience awe when you enter it. And a bayit is a place where you feel at home when you enter it. Um, so even if it is a bayit la Hashem, it's still, it's still the imagery then is that when we go to the bayit la Hashem, we're going to visit God in his house, um, which again is a much more intimate feel than going to visit a mikdash, a sanctuary, a place of kedusha, um, or a mishkan, a place where God dwells, right? Um, both of those have uh, much more like awesome in the literal sense of awe, awesome kind of connotations, and bayit I think has a much more intimate type of connotation. Um, Going back to, uh, to, to chapter six, um, to continue again, as I, as I said, I'm gonna kind of scroll down and make a few, few um, observations as we go. Um, here I wanna look at the general structure of this chapter. Um, I didn't, I didn't start beforehand, so uh, I invite you to um, trust me on this, but the previous passage um, in, in Parakei in chapter 5, which is divided both by the Masora and by the Prakim, right? Chapter 5 is a separate unit from chapter 6, has nothing at all to do with the Bayit, okay? Um, um, so really the entire idea of the Beit Hashem is only introduced with this celebratory introduction in verse 1 of, the, and it came to pass in the 480 and 80th year, etc., etc. Okay, then as we said already, without reading, just sort of skimming through the next verses, verse two again has asher Hashem, Shishim Arko, etc. Right now, we're going to get the dimensions of the bayit and verse. Verse um, three, right? And there's an ulam, there's kind of like a, 
uh, oh gosh, I'm losing the word here. That's why I have a translation in front of me. The porch, okay, um, between um, before the temple of the house. And now we have the dimensions of that. And verse four, we now have a description of the windows. Um, right now we have the wall of the house, like the, the side structure of the house. And the um, verse six, the nethermost story of the side structure. Um, um, and then verse seven, now we're going to talk about the material, the stone that was used for the bayats and how they did the building. Um, um, right, the fact that they never used any tool of iron in building uh, in building this bayats. Um, then we get to verse verse. Eight, the door of the lowest row of chambers was on the right side. Um, and then verse nine, he built the house and he finished it. Um, he covered the house with planks of cedar over beams. He built, he built the stories of the side structure, okay? And, and then we end with, and they rested on the house with timber of cedar. So what we've now described again is verse 10 is we finished building the bayat. Now, as I said, we're going to go on for all of chapter six and all of chapter seven to complete, to tell us much more about building the bayat. And we know that it really took seven years, right? But we are told pretty early on here in verse Verse nine, he finished building the bayit. But if you, again, as we skimmed through, we saw that what was described here when it says he finished building the bayit was all the external structure, right? We got the doors and the windows and the support walls um, and all of the external structure. Um, and and, and we're gonna, we are going to continue eventually um, into discussing um, much more in very vivid, vivid, descriptive detail, the internal structures and all of the Kalim that go into the Mishkan, and we're going to look at, only, at certain pieces of that. Um, but what's fascinating here is what happens at the end of verse 10. Um, on the on the screen, you don't see it as much as you might see it if you're turning pages in the Tanakh, but you see that pay in the brackets. So there's like a pause there. There's a new parsha um, where the where the again the prakim don't divide here but the masora pauses at the end of verse 10 and then comes verse 11. verse 11 gives us right hashem now speaks now that let's pause that's um that's fascinating, right? Because we almost didn't notice when we started the parak that Hashem had not spoken, right? Um, and Hashem is all of a sudden speaking now, right? And we're going to read the speech momentarily, but Hashem speaks to um, to Shlomo now. I'm going to skip um, to the end of the speech. Um, which again, at the end of verse 13, you see another pay in parentheses. So it's a short speech. It's just like a, a, a two verse mini speech that is interjected here. And then we go back in verse 14 to once again, Shlomo built the house and he finished it. And once again, we go on to the walls and I'm just reading the beginning of the verses, right? 
Eretz al Habayit, Udvir Batoch Habayit Miptima. We go on to go back to this Vayiven, Vayiven. He built, he built, he built. We weren't done, actually. When we said Vayichalehu, we weren't really done, because then there's a lot more building to describe. Um, so it's actually um, kind of shocking that we have this three-verse interjection. Um, sorry, just up again, the three-verse interjection. Let me go back to it. Um, um, in verses um, um, 12 and 13, right, in this kind of manic vayiven, 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 he built, he built, he built. And again, we appreciate Shlomo's clear, like, passion um, and energy, vayiven, vayiven, vayiven. He is determined to build this by Hashem, and he's putting all of his energies into it. He's very active, right? And after we get the vayiven, later in, in chapter seven, we're going to get a lot of vayas, 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 again, in terms of making the internal um, vessels for the Mishkan and the design, right? It's very, very active. Um, but right in the middle of this whole series of Ba'yiven and Ba'yiven, in between um, his description of finishing the outer structure in verse um, 10, and then again back to the, to the building, building, building frenzy in, that starts again in verse 14. Again, we have this little mini oasis between the frenzy of action, which is Hashem speaking to Shlomo. And what he says in verse 12 is, <laughs> This building, which you, this bayit, which you are building, if, right, here comes a big if. If you follow my commandments um, and you keep my mitzvot to really stay committed to them, then I will keep my word with you, like I said to David, and I will dwell in the, amongst Bnei Israel. I'm adding the words in this bayat, and I will not abandon Am Yisrael. But that word in is critical, right? And it comes again in this like very unexpected place. We would expect this to have been the beginning of the chapter, right? Not smack in the middle of the Vayiven building frenzy. Um, and I think that again tells us something very important about Shlomo's revolution here. Um, what Shlomo HaMelech is doing is again, is this again, in a praiseworthy sense, it is a, a very energetic building project. Um, lots of, lot, a lot of verbs, um, a lot of action here. Um, but we only notice when we get to verse 11 that it's actually really surprising how it started. And again, if you recall, when we went back to our verses in Shemot, the contrast from there to here is striking, that the Mishkan project obviously started with a call from Hashem to Moshe to um to Asuli Mikdash, right? You guys make me Mikdash and I will bring my Shekhinah, my presence to dwell there, right? It is initiated 100% by Hashem, a call, I want you to do this and I will then come, right? And Hashem is calling them to action. Um, all of a sudden, when we come here, we don't almost don't notice it because, you know, it's, this has been set up in all fairness, right? And we already knew from, from the Midbar already that there was this idea of ultimate goal of building the Mikdash. And certainly here, uh, and certainly in Shmuel Aleph, when David wants to build the Bayit and Hashem says, no, it's gonna wait for Shlomo, it's gonna wait for your son, um, 
so we know already, we're, we're all waiting for, we, we were told in Sefer Shmuel that, that David's son is going to build the Mikdash. And now that Shlomo has become king, we're waiting for it. So it's not surprising to us that Shlomo just kind of steps up to the plate and does it without waiting for his cue. His cue came years ago before he was born, right? So he knows this, right? He, I'm sure. But what's fascinating is that Yirmiyahu and Sefer Malachim doesn't tell us that he knows it, right? The beginning of Sefer Malachim actually talks about, tells us the last, the last will and testament that David passes on to Shlomo, he does give him some guidance about how to establish his machut. And what's fascinating is David doesn't mention it to Shlomo. So the way it's presented in Sefer Malachim is as if it is Shlomo's initiative. Vayiv and Shlomo atabayit. Shlomo did it, right? And it's only after a lot of action has happened, but there's still a lot more to go, that all of a sudden Hashem says, hey, let me talk to you about this bayit that you're building. And you have just built a really strong bayit. The last thing we were told is, vayechoz et habayit, right? Echaz, echoz is to hold on to. You have like supported the bayit with very strong atzei arazim, with timber of cedar, right? You are working very hard, Shlomo, and I appreciate it, Hashem, I think is saying. I appreciate that you're working really hard on this structure to make it nice and strong um, and to like make it a beautiful place that has strength. Um, but Hashem says, let me just tell you that if you want this bite to be strong, let me warn you that it has nothing to do with the materials that you're going to use. If you want this bite to last and you want it to be strong, im, right? It's all contingent on im um, Is there perhaps perhaps a very gentle note of critique here? I think so, I think so. But I think altogether, Shlomo HaMelech, who's gonna have his troubles coming up, Shlomo HaMelech altogether in these prakim is, a, is an inspiring religious figure. But I think Hashem is maybe anticipating here and maybe anticipating some of the things that are to come um, in Shlomo HaMelech himself and then his descendants, um, um, and, and there is going to impact the bayit as we go. Um, the end of the day, the bayit is, is um, in, in, the, in the end of the day, the bayit is always going to reflect. It's going to be the picture of Dorian Gray, right? It's always going to reflect the status of the am. Um, it's not, the, 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 la the lasting impact of the bayit is not going to be about the materials you use, the mamelech. It's going to be about how the bayit reflects the religious and spiritual status of the am. Um, that's what you need to be looking out for. It doesn't, I think, I think there's a gentle critique um, that maybe Shlomo, um, like you're 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 so passionate about this project, but maybe you need to be reminded that so much of this came as human initiative, and I'm building a bite and not a mikdash, and it's a more um, intimate place um, for 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 people to come together with God. Um, but as you're putting in all that human energy, you might need to be warned that yes, your actions and your human energy are absolutely going to matter in terms of the staying power of this bayit, but it's not about the building and the material, it's about how it's going to mirror the spiritual status of the nation. Um, to continue. Um, we then get, as, as, as we said, and here I'm um, 
I'm going to keep scrolling down here to verse 23. We get a description of the bayat. And one of the things which is described in, in significant detail in verse 23, um, So in the dvir, in the main sanctuary of this bayat, um, Shlomo makes two Kruvim to um, Kruvim uh, made out of olive wood, and they are Eser Amot Komato. So that obviously is a strong contrast. So the uh, Kruvim are familiar to us. There was there were Kruvim already in the in the Mishkan. Um, if we're gonna toggle over back to, if I can, if it lets me, yes. Um, we're gonna toggle back over to Shmote for, an, for another minute and we're gonna look at um, the Kruvim here. Also in verse 18 as well, we have Yudchet Vasita Shnayim Kruvim Zahav. So this is actually not at first blush. It is not an initiative on Shlomo. The Mishkan had Shnei Kruvim made out of gold and Shlomo as well makes two Kruvim made out of gold. Um, um, the dimensions of the Kruvim, um, which are not spelled out in detail here, but they, they are um, clearly going to be significantly smaller than 10 amot. Um, but again, we understand that the, the Bayat's version of the Mishkan, right, the Mishkan is meant to be trans, transitory and the, and the Bayat isn't. So, okay, the dimensions are certainly going to be different. Uh, but let's keep going while we're here in Shmote for a minute. Um, verse 19, make one of the kruvim on one end and the other on the other end. Um, on top of the kaporet. The kaporet is the cover. Sorry, I guess I should have started in verse 10, right? In order, the first instruction Moshe gets is to make the aron. Um, then the next instruction is to make um, in verse 17, Vasita Kaporet Zahav to cover the Aron. And verse 18 is again the Kruvim, which then stands on the Kaporet, which covers the Aron. So the Kruvim are actually standing on the Aron. Um, and per verse 20, while we finish, let's just finish off the description here. V'chol ha-kruvim parsei k'nafayim l'mala, sochachim b'kanfeihim ala kaporet, ufneihim ish elachav ala kaporet, yiyu p'nei ha-kruvim. The Krufim extend their arms upwards, sochachim, from the word, like the word schach. They cover over with their knafayim, with their wings. They cover over the kaporet, and their faces are ish achiv. They are facing one another. El kaporet biyu pnei kruvim, right? They're facing um, one another on top of the mishkan. Um, sorry, that's not the picture I wanted, right? Famous picture. We can like different versions exactly, but famous picture of the kruvim standing on each on either edge of the aron, which again has the badzim, the poles, um, to carry it with, and they are standing over, facing one another, with their wings spread out over the aron. Um, let's hold on to that as we now go back to the description description in Malachim. So again, we're not surprised in verse 23 to say that Shlomo is, um, yes, he's taking an, a transplant initiative here. And again, verse um, chapter six started by emphasizing that he seems to be the initiative taker here. Um, 
And but again, he's clearly modeling himself on um, the Kalim on the on on bigger dimensions. But he's modeling himself, and so he too is making kruvim, and we get the description of the kruvim. Um, and again, massive. They're massive. Um, and I want to skip to twenty-seven. Um, okay, but here there's a shift. It's very subtle. They're also yifursu at kanfei, right? It's the same phrase. They also have outstretched wings. Um, but the difference is one wing of the kruvim is touching the wall and another wing of the kruvim um, is touching the other um, kruv next to it. And then that kruv is touching on one side its fellow kruv and on the other side the opposite wall. Um, so as opposed to the kruvim of the Iron who are facing one another and touching both wings touching each other, I couldn't find a better picture than this. I wasn't happy with this picture because it, it is the Aron, um, and I didn't want the Aron. I couldn't find a Mikdash version. But in terms of direction, you can see that this picture has the has the wings outspread. And again, I don't have a picture with two of them side by side, but that's the description in the Mikdash, is two of them spread outwards as opposed to inwards, um, spread outwards side by side across the Devere, across the sanctuary. Um, so on the one hand, we have the same um, issue that we had before, and I think that's part of the chidush here, and um, of that, the, the, the bayit is on the one hand completely following the model of the Mishkan and Hashem's command of the Mishkan, but on the other hand, there do seem to be these initiatives um, that Shlomo takes. Um, what is the meaning of this initiative? Um, here I want to suggest almost the opposite of what we said before, that the inward kruvim facing one another over the Aron, and God speaks to Moshe from the Aron from there, is this intimate place um, where God speaks to Moshe from there, as opposed to the imagery of Paris Knafayim this way, well, amazingly, and here's where I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to end with this final point here of the paris the phrase paris knafayim then surfaces repeatedly um, when we get to the next step after the building of the mikdash we move in chapter eight we move to the next step which is the dedication of the mikdash and when Shlomo dedicates his mikdash. Um, in in chapter eight um so so he sorry just see where i want to scroll down to verse 22 here um verse 22 neged kol shlomo himself stands before the altar opposite kahal yisrael the whole community is watching him and he spreads his arms forth towards the heavens. Shlomo HaMelech stands like this, just like his kruvim stand like this. Um, and what is he going to do? He is then going to go from verse 23 um, all the way through um, almost the end of this, uh, no, the end of this chapter, all the way through um, through um, a long chapter, verse 23, all the way through um, verse um, 53, right? For the next 30 sukim, Shlomo is going to pray to Hashem. Um, and he's going to describe how this bayit is going to be the place where Am Yisrael are going to go to pray to Hashem. It's going to be the place where, and, 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 and Shlomo even acknowledges that 
this bayit, Hashem, isn't really for you because a bayit, he says, lo really, even this beautiful grand house that I built, we know it can't really contain you, God, because the divine is infinite. It can't contain you. So why did I build this house? He says, because you are going to listen to the Tfilot Hashem. You're going to listen to the Rina al And the whole time that Shlomo is praying to Hashem, he, in his prayer, he is asking Hashem, Hashem to turn this into a place where he's going to listen to prayer. And the whole time Shlomo is standing like this, like the Kruvim. So the Kruvim in the Mishkan, who are intimately facing each other over the Aron, um, are, are, are creating a space where Hashem speaks to us. And Hashem speaks to Moshe and gives us all the mitzvot in the Torah through those Kruvim. Um, but um, the Kruvim that go in this direction, right, that are outspoken, are really models of us coming to speak to Hashem. And again, Shlomo, and again, last sentence, what I want to emphasize is that Shlomo, in building the Mikdash, on the one hand, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do, and he's following the model of the Mishkan, and he's following the model of the Bayat that David wanted to build, and he's he's replicating in, on a grander scale, but he's also being the Chadesh. He's also initiating, and he's and, and he's telling us that this Bayat is actually, and, and again, this is a revolution that I think Shlomo creates that is with us to this day, that he turns the bite into a place not only where Hashem talks to us and we go to Mikdash to enter fearfully the sanctuary, but it's a bite where we can go to visit Hashem and we can speak to Hashem as visitors in his bite. He creates an intimate place um, of bayat, and he also establishes that it is going to be the place of tefillah, even when it's not there, even when we're in Galut, even when we're in exile, he says our tefillot are always going to be channeled. Um, from this point in history on, our tefillot are always going to be channeled through this, these kruvim, through this place of intimacy, of, of intimacy with God. Again, not intimacy of the kruvim of the mishkan that are kind of closed over the Aron protecting, but the intimacy of us um, out opening our arms and, and being able to feel that we can, we can also be first Knafayim. The Kruvim represent us, um, reaching out our hands to Hashem. And that's what Shlomo said. Shlomo said that Yerushalayim um, becomes um, the meeting place, not just where we go to serve God in a Mikdash place. Again, I don't want to say just in that sense. That's a pretty significant mission. But he turns it from a place where we go to serve Hashem to a place where we go to visit Hashem, to communicate with Hashem. It becomes our place. It becomes a place where we are we are empowered. Again, that empowerment comes with Hashem's warning that it's all in Bechukotai. Shlomo, it's all up to you. If we're going to create a joint place and we're going to empower um, people to come and to bring their load here um, and to really be active partners in this Mishkan, in this, sorry, in this Bayat, um, if we're going to be active partners, um, well, then the responsibility is all on us um, to keep those lines of communication really going. Um, wishing, wishing you all a Yom Yerushalayim Sameach. I guess I'll pause here. Jeremy. Okay, Rabbi Nomi, thank you so much. Um, we are so grateful for, for this year and for the, uh, your insight and, and textual analysis and, and words of inspiration. We, we have a few minutes for a Q&A. Uh, so I'd like to remind all of our participants, um, everyone who has logged in on a device with a screen, uh, please feel, uh, feel free to uh, click on the Q&A button 
Um, and, uh, and you can uh, type in your questions and Reverend Naomi will take a few minutes to, uh, to address them. So we'll give you uh, a minute uh, to write in. And while we're doing that, I'll also make a uh, public service announcement um, that I want to let you know that uh, the Torah for Our Time series will be taking a break next week and resuming in two weeks. That is because next Wednesday, Ortora Stone will be presenting an incredible pre-Shavuot Torah learning marathon in honor of Rabbi Shlomo Riskin's 80th birthday. This uh, program will run for 24 hours consecutively from 8 a.m. Israel time next Wednesday through 8 a.m. Israel time next Thursday, and will feature two simultaneous shiurim every half hour. That's 96 shiurim in total with offerings in English, Hebrew, and Spanish. Don't miss it. So for a complete schedule, please visit our Facebook page or our website, www.ots.org.il slash Shavuot. It promises to be a most memorable and meaningful way to prepare for Chag Matan Toratenu we really look forward to you to your joining us. Uh, and uh, let's see if there are any any questions that uh, that we can address. It was such a great cheer, and it was so clear the way you're reading the Makarot um, that uh, that it looks like uh, we'll we'll conclude at this point. So I'd like to wish everyone um, a a Yom Yerushalayim Sameach, a Chag Shavuot Sameach. Uh, be safe, stay healthy, uh, and thank you again. And thank you, uh, Rabbi Nomi, uh, for for leading this year this evening. Thank you.